Vision Sunday was incredible. If you haven't had a chance to go onto our YouTube channel, please go and listen to it. Uh, 2024, a year of fruitfulness, a year of harvest, and a year of discipleship is what that was all about. Now, you might be sitting there going, oh, they're really good words. But in each of your lives, we really see that this will be a year where you get traction, where you get breakthrough, where you get areas of, of breakthrough and fruitfulness where you have just sort of been like maybe asleep or just not, not progressing. Um, who here would go, yep, I, there are areas I know I need to grow. There are areas I want to see improve in my life. Right, so we can all relate. And um, so the title of my message today is around this theme of discipleship. It's around spiritual formation and our growth as disciples. So we're going to look at when Jesus calls his first disciples, and that's in the book of Matthew chapter 4. Um, so as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. That's just so that we can get really confused as to whether it's Simon or Peter, but it's Simon who's also called Peter, so it, either or would work. Don't you love that? You can have two names. Um, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Then going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, uh, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called to them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. This is the first time we see Jesus calling people to become his disciples. So the definition of a disciple is a personal follower of Christ or a pupil of a teacher. But it's not just a pupil of a teacher because you've got to be a pupil. I don't know, were you like this at school? You went in, you did it, you listened, just enough to get the test done and pass and then you forgot everything you ever, you ever learned, right? Yep, who can relate to that? Just to pass the test and then someone's, my husband, on the other hand, he can tell you all about the types of clouds in the sky and all the different types and layers and, and the way that the rain fall. He goes, didn't you do geography? And I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't like taking it in so that I can remember forevermore. A disciple is not just a pupil, but a pupil that applies what they learn. So, to be a disciple means that we don't just follow, but we're applying what we've learnt. Discipleship is the journey of spiritual formation and growth. So, I'll ask you this question that you're going to ask each other. Is every believer a disciple? What do you think? You've got 10 seconds. Have a little think about that. Talk to the person next to you. Is every believer a disciple? Okay, so it's been 10 years since this man wrote a book called Start to Follow, How to Be a Successful Follower of Jesus. His name was Greg Laurie. Uh, so 10 years ago, he wrote this. Every disciple, let's bring up the next one. The quote. Isn't Caleb doing a great job? Every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is necessarily a disciple. 
Jesus calls us to more than belief. He calls us to follow and to be his disciple. So who got, who got it right? Right? Yeah. Test. No. As followers of Jesus, it is implied that we must go on a journey with him. We journey towards God. We journey towards wholeness in ourselves. We journey towards uh, love and understanding who he is and who he's created us to be. And this kind of messes with nominal Australian Christianity where you get sprinkled as a kid or you get baptised. Not much happens in the middle, then you die and go to heaven. Right? That's what most people believe being a Christian is. You're just sort of born into the church, you're a Christian. And then it doesn't really matter how you live. You die, you go to heaven. The Bible makes countless references to this spiritual journey or the refrain that Jesus uses throughout the Gospels of come, follow me, come, follow me. References to being made whole. References to being transformed into his image and into his likeness of growing up into maturity, of even becoming godly. Like humans. Me? Me becoming godly? That's a scary thought. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed, they're the ones who have had the spirit, their spiritual eyes have been opened to the reality of God. We've had an awakening. We've gone, yes, we believe there is more to this life. So the veil is removed, can see and reflect we reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And Galatians 5.22. The amazing, famous passage, Galatians 5, on the fruit of the Spirit... You know, in, I don't know about you, but if you've ever grown up in church, in kids' church, you sing the songs about it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right, they're singing along. They know it. These fruits of the Spirit are produced in our life over time. Have you ever just seen an apple on an apple tree? It doesn't just, there's an apple. One minute, there's a tree. And the next minute, it's full of apples. It's got to grow. It's got a form. Unlike the gifts which are given, the fruit is produced over a period of time. Now, I don't think any of us could ever say, I am a blossoming. I have full measure of love. I have the fruit of patience. I, you all know I don't. I'm very public about my journey with the Lord, my do projects with the Lord and at the moment I'm in a project on patience and everything in my life is to teach me patience, I'm sure of it. And I'll, I'll share a story about when, I, when we first moved to the Illawarra to plant this church, we rented for the first 12 months and we were in a house up at the top of Albion Park and I was a young mum and I had two little children who were really, really naughty and I used to just think, is it only my... Everyone else's children in church would just sit and do colouring books or stickers. And mine would be like on the floor and knocking over water bottles and running up and down and like 
out in the car park and now we know that they all have ADHD and they, you know, neurologically they're not typical. But at the time we didn't know that. Anyway, I was this pulling my hair out young mother. But we were here to plant a church and on a very holy mission. And my neighbour, who I'd been ministering to and witnessing to, also had young children. And, you know, why have you moved? And, yeah, we're pastors. And you should come and visit our church. And anyway, this one particular day, in these new housing developments, the, the kitchen window is about half a metre from the fence. Then there's half a metre to their kitchen window. So you're kind of like looking into each other's houses. There's not much privacy. No big backyards. I absolutely lost it at my children. I mean, mammoth levels of not just that they needed discipline, they did need discipline, but the way in which I went about it was completely ungodly. I'm sure there were swear words involved. And there was just... And at the very end of my rant, I heard the kitchen window of my neighbour just slide across and... And in that moment, it was like she was the fly on the wall. She actually witnessed and heard my entire, what should have been the meltdown in private, I was just ab absolutely exposed and mortified because there I had been just saying her to come to church, you know, and, and it was just this moment when it was like the Holy Spirit, okay, I know I've got some issues with self-control. It was self-control. That was my project with the Lord back then. And um, I have to work on this fruit in my life because I would fly off the handle. So can anyone relate that there are fruits in our life that we may have or have not developed? So when we're looking at that list from Galatians, we need some self-compassion. But the journey with Jesus, he, he constantly calls us, come, follow me. It implies that we are to apprentice ourselves to him and follow in his ways, in the ways of Jesus. Now, our culture is not the way of Jesus. Things that are culturally acceptable in this world are not the way of Jesus. And so we come up against, like it's sort of like normalised. Pornography is one thing that is just so normalised. Um, and sexuality is probably the biggest, the biggest area of our humanity that, that there is such a huge divide between what Jesus says brings life and brings freedom and brings blessing versus what the world says will bring life, will bring freedom, will bring enjoyment and pleasure. And it's, so we, as a Christian, we're kind of, we're living in the world, but we're following the ways of Jesus. We journey a bit like uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament from slavery to freedom. We might not be actual slaves in bondage to the Egyptians, but we all have areas of our life where we have been, like we've got to break free, whether it be trauma. In, in, in the language of the secular person, we would be moving from places of trauma to places of healing and wholeness. Uh, in the language of Jesus, we're moving from slavery to freedom, from wounding to wholeness, from immaturity to maturity. Now, who knows? We can have a belief and a faith and we can follow the Lord. We can, we can be a Christian. We can be a believer and never grow up in maturity. You can meet a young person think they are so mature in the Lord 
and then you meet an older person chronologically and they're like an infant who still needs the milk. They haven't moved on to the solid food. But the journey that we take, that we're invited to take, and that we are constantly invited to continue to take, is one where we would begin, the the language of the scriptures is really clear, that we would be continually on this journey with our Jesus as he's leading us into more freedom, more wholeness, understanding him more, understanding ourselves more, you know, accessing parts of the deepest parts of our soul, allowing him into those places, not just the surface stuff, as we're apprenticed to him. So in the words of Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 4, he says this, it's not going to come up, but it says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So I just want to be clear at this point, this journey towards becoming more godly or mature, following Jesus, pursuing righteousness, that just means right living. It's not about self-righteousness. This isn't about so that we can say we're better than others, that we can hold up the placards out the front of the abortion clinic, that we can push our political agenda, that we can point the finger, because that's just what the Pharisees did. It is not about any of that, because that's not the way of Jesus. When they brought the woman to him who'd been caught in the act of adultery, he said, I don't judge you. That's the son of God. But go and sin no more. So this journey is actually about self-assessment. It's not about pointing the finger at others. Or comparing yourself to others. Oh, they're so much more mature than me. I should, be, I should have got this down pat by now. How are you doing with kindness? How do you go with patience? Is peace growing in my life? Or am I riddled with anxiety and worry? Do I exercise self-control? In following the ways of Jesus... As his disciple, have I learnt the rhythms of Sabbath and rest? Do I still myself before the Lord? Or am I so distracted by my culture and the dinging phone and the dinging? And me, if I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the carpet and it needs a vacuum. So I'm in the middle of my prayer time, then I'm vacuuming all of a sudden. I'm vacuuming. Ah, does that happen to anyone else? We're so distracted. We could, by materialism, by daily tasks, by the demands that we've lost the art of stillness and silence, am I able to love others that frustrate me or do I only love others that are like me? How am I going with forgiveness, following the ways of Jesus? This is not the way of our world. The way of our world, there was a show called Revenge that just about summed it up. Do you remember when that was really popular, the show on Netflix called Revenge? Yeah, mate, her whole life was just about getting revenge. It's not the way of Jesus. So how am I going with forgiveness? Do I have bitter roots? 
how am I going in developing my own personal relationship with God? Pete Scazzaro, who wrote the course that we're going to be doing in this church in May, called The Emotionally Healthy Disciple. Um, incredible course. He writes in his book that the church is facing a crisis because many people will come and they will sing the songs and they'll listen to the preach, but they fail to ever truly develop their own relationship with God. Are there areas in my heart and soul, I'm sure we all have them, where we hide, like Adam, he hid in the garden. Where are you? Well, you feel exposed, you feel naked, you're ashamed, so you just hide. You don't want to deal with that. That's too overwhelming. What sins or temptations are crouching at your door? Do you open the door? Do you resist? The writers of the New Testament talk about maturity over and over and over again. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, it should come up. Thanks, Caleb. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Hebrews 5.13. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant. They don't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognise the difference between right and wrong. So Paul here is relating the stages of physical development, infancy, childhood and adulthood, to actually to stages of spiritual maturity. So who, yeah. And he wasn't the only New Testament writer to do this. Paul does this in 1 John 4. Now, I won't have time to read the big chunky passage, but John in 1 John 4 talks very similar to Paul about infancy, childhood, adulthood, he talks about the children, the young men and the fathers. And it is widely acknowledged among scholars and theologians that these three groups don't represent the chronological age of people. They represent the level of spiritual maturity. So the infants or the little children are your immature. You're immature. They could be newborn. You're brand new to this. We don't expect you to be down the track. You're brand new. You're just learning the ways of Jesus. Or you could have been a believer for a very long time, but you're still a little child. Then you've got the the young men or the childhood, and they're those that are fighting the good fight of faith, you know, and then right up to the elders who are the mature and, you know, they've ripened in their faith and we all want to be in that category, right? Don't we? So where are you in your journey towards spiritual and emotional maturity? Now, it it makes it sound like it's very linear, like you start here and you progress to here and then you you go from being the newborn and you progress and then once you've, you know, you become mature, it's like a very linear. It's not. It's not linear. Think of it more like a spiral where you're going and you're circling issues and themes in your life and areas of, of trauma or, you know, forgiveness or unforgiveness. Or, and you can be very mature in some areas and very immature in other areas. And so it's this really nuanced process, which means it's never boring or dull and there's always room for growth because God has a vision for our lives that we would be 
set free, whole, developed. Our lives would be a light that shines. He wants to see us, you know, not plagued by our self-esteem issues or grief, disappointment that is crippling us. He wants to see us flourish and grow in love and fruitfulness and these fruits of the Spirit really blossoming in our lives. So another question, is it possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature? Is it possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature? Pete Scazzaro, author of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, says you cannot be spiritually... Not yet, Sarah. You can go to the toilet. Yeah. But I need to go to the toilet. That's not fair that you're allowed to go to the toilet. It's all good. Now we're all going to be thinking about Sarah on the toilet. No, just joking. Okay. Pete says that actually you cannot be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature. Sobering, huh? Growing into an emotionally healthy adult is the key to developing spiritually. This requires a commitment to allow the Lord to deep dive and work within us below the surface of just how we present on the outside to aspects of our inner being. So our inner being, I keep talking like, so what do I mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? So when we first become a Christian, we deal with all the externals, the behaviours, the things that people see. You know, you might stop swearing. Oh, you know, you've had a, you've given your life to the Lord. He's revealed himself to you. You've become awakened spiritually and you think, oh, there's some areas of my life I've really got to clean up. Firstly, my mouth, you know. <laughs> so it, it, it might look like that. Or it could be the family that starts to prioritise attending church. We're going to attend church because that's the good thing to do and we're going to grow spiritually if we show up, which is very true. It could be the teenager who comes home from youth group. They taught on forgiveness. I've got to do that. I've got to forgive my dad for whatever he did or didn't do or... Right? So they, they're beginning the practices, the behaviours, the, they're following in the ways of Jesus. The person whose conscience begins to soften, the Holy Spirit's at work. They used to watch horror films or Game of Thrones, which is just a nice way to package pornography. Right? Because if I watch a sex scene that lasts for 30 seconds, that's okay. But if I watch it for 20 minutes, that's porn. But in Game of Thrones, it goes for way longer than 20 seconds, I can tell you. Right, Like our conscience begins to get softened and the things that we used to do without blinking, we now think, oh, maybe it's not good for my soul. Maybe it's not good for my spirit. The Bible does say to watch things and consume things that edify and uplift, that are godly and wholesome. We might think, I won't get drunk. I'll, just, I'll have a few, but I'm not going to get you know, legless. We begin to change our external behaviours. Things that are even socially acceptable, they're socially acceptable to go out and get pretty legless on the weekend with your mates, but it's not the ways of Jesus. Materialism. Don't think if you're just a, you don't drink or consume porn that you're escaping. Things that are even acceptable in the church, gossip, 
It's an acceptable practice because it's somehow not as sinful. In fact, I think people in the church are quite good at it, maybe even better than (laughs) non-Christians. Materialism, idolising sport, money, pursuing, building your own kingdom. These are socially acceptable things, but they are not the way of Jesus. These are examples of how in the early stages of our formation, uh, we are dealing with what is called the externals. And then you think, well, what more is there? There's a whole other layer. It's called the internal world, the deep dive. The mature disciple goes on to what is referred to as the inner journey. And this is where many halt. They get stuck. They may even backslide. It is an uncomfortable place to be. But to mature as a emotionally, as an emotional being, as an adult, to mature spiritually, we must go there. The inward journey is where we begin to see aspects of our inner self, our attitudes, our motivations, our propensity for greed or selfishness, bitterness, pride. So, As a Christian, I might not swear at my children anymore because I've learnt some self-control in that using the example I gave you earlier. I might not physically manhandle them in the way I I, I used to and then feel uh, tremendously guilty, like I'm the worst mother in the world because I grabbed them, I yanked them and I sat them in that timeout chair and I felt like strangling them. I might not do that anymore. So I've got to handle a little bit on physical violence and what's coming out of my mouth. But underneath, if I'm still seething with anger towards them and I cannot, it's like it's festering. So we might clean up the outside, but deep down, so we might not, you know, externally, we look pretty polished But inside, we're carrying bitterness or anger that's crippling us or or we're just struggling with, with trauma that needs to be healed. This is the place where psychology and spirituality meet because we are body, soul and spirit. And we don't just want to deal with the externals. We want God to come in and truly minister and heal and set us free. Robert Mulholland, incredible, if you want to look him up, incredible writer on this topic, says the deep-seated attitudes and inner orientations of our being out of which our behaviour patterns flow. They're the deep inner postures of our being that don't rely on God, but we rely on ourself. Where do we go? Do we eat? Do we drink? Do we distract ourselves? Where do we go when we're in that place of pain? Well, you all know I go to food because it's like very obvious. (laughs) It's a work in progress. We all have it. Where do we turn for comfort? So I, 
I know I don't have a lot of time. In fact, I have no time. But I really want to encourage us today that don't be put off to progressing to these deeper stages in your spiritual formation uh, because you fear being overwhelmed by pain or cri- like the crisis in your life, the discomfort of it. It's, it's not great. It doesn't feel good. But there is an incredible amount of freedom on the other side, an incredible amount of freedom. In some writers refer to this as hitting the wall. Who here could, if you feel not too exposed, would say that in your Christian journey you've ever fully just hit a wall? You've questioned God, you've questioned your faith, you've, who's hit a wall? If you haven't, you will. You'll either, well, let me just say this. Richard J. Vincent writes, it's impossible to go over, to go around, or to go under the wall. You can only go through it. The wall experience is the place where psychology and spirituality converge. Up to this point, one can be religious, spiritual, or even fruitful, but not be healed psychologically and vice versa. At the wall, we become aware of all the lies that we've accepted about ourselves. We're forced to face the truth in order to move forward. The wall invites us to integrate our spiritual selves with the rest of us. This involves facing our own demons or our dark side or our shadow side. And it's why so many people enter the wall under duress. I'll just give you an example of a wall because you're thinking, what is she talking about? Maybe, Maybe you're thinking, what's she talking about? An example of the spiritual and psychological healing and transformation that can occur at a wall is the realisation that fixing others, over-helping others, codependency or excessive enabling of others is not selfless service, but these motivations have really unhealthy roots and they betray a sense of low self-esteem or a desire to control. So it's just an example And so when God gets to the root, you think, I've always been that helper. Why have I always been so codependent? Why have I always, you know, God wants to set you free. I really feel like in this congregation, the word for us around fruitfulness and discipleship is the Lord wants to see us mature. So if as you're reflecting... And that's the first step in terms of practical steps. Reflect. Where are you in your journey towards spiritual and emotional maturity? Pray about it. Go home, reflect, journal, write. Go, yeah, I really just want to grow in this area. I know, God, you're putting your finger on this in my life. Talk to someone about your insights. Maybe a connect group leader or just a friend or a pastor. Another practical step, Caleb, if you can put up on the screen um, that you can go to this website. It's called www.emotionallyhealthy.org. This is the course that we're going to be running in the church in May. And you can take a free 15-minute personal assessment to discover if you're an emotional infant, a child, a teen or an adult. How good is that? Take a photo. www.emotionallyhealthy.org. You can kind of do a little 
Where am I at? Now, remember that it's not linear. You're going to be much further along in some areas than you are in others. Um, and the other thing you can do is register for the course that we run in May. And just coming up on the screen now is a list of all the topics that are explored in the course, the Emotionally Healthy uh, Discipleship course. Amazing topics. They're kind of covered one per week. We're going to run this a um, little later in the year. And we're going to invite the connect groups to participate as a group. And um, so that's another way that you can take a step towards your own spiritual maturity and development as a disciple of Jesus. So reflect where you're at, talk to someone about it, have a conversation over a coffee, talk, come talk to one of the pastors, uh, you know, Inga, us, Pastor Sue, uh, do the self-assessment, the 15-minute, and register for the course. God has got levels of freedom for you in 2024 that are going to be profound. So, amen. Thank